0: Father, you told us in your word it's good that we would be still, that we would be quiet, that we would cease our striving. We live in such turmoil. We're so messed up and our minds get all tangled up. And yet you said that you did not come to give us a spirit of bondage again to fear, but of love and peace and of a sound mind. And oh, do we ever need that? Do we ever need to think the thoughts of God? Do we ever need to have your peace wash over us? Do we ever need to be reassured in your love? Oh, Lord, how we need to know that you do not break your covenant with us as we saw in Sunday school because the covenant we live under was made by Christ and Christ alone through his blood. And I thank you that you allow us in on it, but it doesn't depend upon us. And we thank you for your faithfulness. And we thank you, Father, for the rest that we can find in you. And I suspect that there are a lot of people that would need to hear the voice of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. And Father, how we need that rest, how our minds get so messed up, how our emotions get so messed up, and then we make wrong decisions and then we wonder why we live in such turmoil. May we come to you. And may today as we look into Your Word, may we bow at Your feet and may we worship You even as we read through the Scripture and comment on it. May we love You and may we treasure You and may we see that out of all of the things that are in the Bible, there is nothing, nothing that excels You. And if all we learned in the Bible was about Jesus and not a word of prophecy, not a word of instruction or anything like that, it would be enough Because you are our all in all. And we pray, Lord, today you would strengthen our faith. We pray for people who are not saved, that you would bring them into faith. And we pray that the glory of God would fill us and fill this place, fill our minds and our hearts. And we turn our thoughts, our eyes, and our attention to you. And we praise you and glorify you For what a great, wonderful, loving Savior that you are. Hallelujah. Praise the living God. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, go back to the fifth chapter of John and make our way through this as we learn more about Christ and what He says. And we've been looking at the last two weeks, uh, this will be the third, where we're looking at the actual words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, could there be any person that you should listen to more than Jesus? And I'll answer it for you so you don't get it wrong. No. And is there anything more important than what Jesus has to say? Now, all of the Word of God is important, of course, and it's all inspired by God, so we don't want to ignore any of it or discount any of it, but this is the Word of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Himself And as he does this, as you know, he healed that paralyzed man. And then when he told him, take up your bed and walk, that offended the uh, man-made rules and commentaries on the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders got ticked off about all of that. And then Jesus didn't camouflage himself or hide or become vague. Have you ever noticed in our world today, as truth becomes more obscured... The people of God become more and more vague. It's kind of interesting when I want to hear about a church or I hear about a certain preacher and I'll look at their church and see their statement of faith. You know what a lot of them are now? We believe in God. We believe in the Bible. We believe in mercy and salvation. And it doesn't go into much more detail than that. And it's like, well, who doesn't believe in that? And what do you actually mean by that? Because it can be quite confusing sometimes. It could be dead accurate, but it could be way off. A lot of cults will say those same things. Well, Jesus doesn't want anyone to be confused, especially as he is talking to the people in that day. He's headed toward the cross, and he is in perfect control of everything, not a victim of circumstances, And he is setting the whole thing up to stir the leaders up, to stir the ungodly up. And uh, this is, there's no doubt about what is going to happen. Jesus isn't trying to squirm away from the cross. He's not trying to delay the cross. He knows there's a time and he talks about it. My hour, he said in one place, has not yet come. But when his hour did come in John chapter 17, he says to the father... My hour is come. In other words, it's time. And let me glorify you and give me back the glory that I had with you before the world began. This is Jesus that we are talking about here. And Jesus is going to make everything crystal clear. As if he hasn't already. But he's going to make sure that they fully understand it. Because in fully understanding, some people are going to get saved. Praise God for that. But in not understanding and in rejecting this truth and perverting this truth, some are going to push for him to be crucified. And you know what? Praise the Lord. Because without a crucified Savior, we have no hope. He is our sacrifice. This is all set up. This is all rigged, as we would say. This is all taking us to the cross of Calvary so Jesus could die for us. He's pushing the issue. He's pressing the point and he is stirring up something here that um, most people would think he would steer away from. Now, he's going to say something here in this fifth chapter of John about uh, witnesses. And I want to talk about that before we get into the text. So think about this. God established the concept of witnesses in the scripture. Now, what do you think of When you think of a witness. Now, if you're like probably most of us, we're in church and we know what it means. You ought to witness more. You're supposed to witness, witness to the lost. And we immediately think about evangelism, sharing the gospel with the lost. Now, of course, you're supposed to do that, but that's not the context here. This is more of the idea of being called to court. Have you ever been called to court as a witness for somebody? I hope you don't because it's one of the most frustrating things that I've ever done. And they call you in, they swear you in, and then they want to know most of the time what you know and how you describe. I'm a witness to an automobile accident or to a crime or something like that. You share what you know. You tell what you know. You testify of the truthfulness Of These things that's what it means here in John chapter 5 when the idea of witnesses is brought up now This is based upon Old Testament law and Old Testament principles Did you know that in the United States of America where you can't just go and accuse somebody of doing something? And then a judge saying okay based on the testimony of them. You're going to jail for the rest of your life There's more to it than that. We have the rule of law And we uh, have to be convicted by a jury of our peers. And uh, the idea of having witnesses that are there comes actually from the Bible. I'll read to you both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. For example, Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. Whoever is deserving of death. Yes, the Bible does support the death penalty. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses he shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness why that person could be lying that person could be just they have a vendetta against you so we're not supposed to do that even when we are listening to people and counseling we're to hear both sides of the story and um it's also clear as you read through this The witnesses, not only two or three, but they've got to match. They've got to line up. They can't be telling a different story. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be Established. In other words, they agree together and that's what settles the issue. Two or three witnesses. In fact, in the New Testament, Timothy, the pastor, is told in 1 Timothy 5 19, listen to this do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. That is to keep turmoil from coming up in the church. You don't just go on a personal whim of somebody who doesn't like an elder. You have to have two or three witnesses for a a serious accusation. And so we go to John chapter 5, and we go to verse 31 47 and we're going to notice in here and pay attention how many times the word witness or a form of that word is in there and how many times the word testify or testimony or something like that is found in these verses that gives us a key as to what this is all about so let's go to john 5 31 if i bear witness of myself my witness is not true now that means it's not valid Remember what we just read? Two or three witnesses in the Old Testament law. And Jesus is making reference to that. So he said if it were just me talking, it wouldn't be a valid witness. Verse 32. There is another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, John the Baptist. And uh, he has borne witness Uh, To the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man. But I say these things. That you may be saved. See where his heart is. Verse 35. He was the burning and shining lamp. And you were willing for a time. To rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness. Than John the Baptist. For the works which the father has given to me to finish the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Verse 37. And the Father himself who sent me, he himself has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, and nor have you seen his form, but... What you do not have, uh, his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. All of it links together, in other words. Verse 39. You search the scriptures. This is a great verse, by the way. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men or on the basis of men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name or without the witnesses or confirmation, you will receive him. Now, how can you believe? ...who receive honor from one another... ...and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. You're missing the point, in other words. Verse 45. Now, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. In other words, you're already guilty. And who is that? Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me... For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so Jesus is saying, you guys are trapped in all of this because you don't see and indeed you can't see everything that testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's not vague. And you're going to continue on in the darkness. you remember that story about the blind men? ...who uh, came upon an elephant and they were each trying to describe something that they couldn't see. And so one of the blind men grabs the elephant's leg and he said, "...oh, the elephant, it's like a tree." Look at this tree trunk. The elephant is like a tree. And another one goes, oh no. He grabs the tail. The elephant is much like a snake. Look, here, look what I have in my hands. The elephant is like a snake. And on and on they went. All of them being somewhat true, but highly inaccurate in what they thought an elephant was. This is the way the Pharisees were. There were glimpses of truth that they would get. There were certain things that they would understand and try to live by. And yet they missed the whole point. They didn't see the Messiah accurately in the Old Testament. They didn't see the point of the law in the Old Testament. It was to expose their sin and cause them to throw themselves in faith at the mercy of God. And they certainly didn't understand the Messiah. They thought Messiah was going to be political. They thought the Messiah was going to be a military leader. They thought the Messiah was going to bring Israel to great prosperity and power. And they wanted to be in on all of that. But there was no love for God. There was no faith or understanding And what the Scripture had to say, they went right over those parts of Scripture that prophesied about Jesus. So, when we think about the witnesses that Jesus talks about here, it's used, that word is used like eight times in this passage. And testify or testimony is used three terms. So we get the idea, it's kind of like a courtroom type setting. Jesus is being judged. And Jesus is testifying and he calls up other witnesses to testify of him and who he is and what he came to do. And he tells us about those witnesses because Jesus says, if I were just saying this on my own and there were nothing to back me up, don't believe me. There are false Christs that are coming. He warned us of that. And have you ever noticed that when the people come and they are a part of a cult or they claim to be Jesus or whatever, they don't have anything to back them up. They just say, you just have to believe me just because I said so. But when Jesus comes, he said, look, I've got testimony, I've got witnesses, and I'm going to call the witnesses to the stand to testify of me. Now, are the Pharisees and Sadducees going to like these? No, There are probably some of these, they're all people that they're going to agree with. And Jesus even said when he talks about John the Baptist, you sure believed him for a while. But now you don't because he testifies of me. And so these people were saying, we don't trust the credibility of any of the witnesses, even if they're our guys, even if they're our people. And you see this a lot of times in politics today. You see somebody who is an ally of a certain person, and then something goes wrong, and then they turn against them, and then they go on all the news shows to tell about what a rotten person this former ally used to be, and the media just eats that kind of stuff up. Well, this is what's happening here. And the Pharisees, these are all the people Jesus is actually saying, I'm going to call your people to the stand. And hear what they have to say. And now they're going, okay, well, we can't trust that. Well, that's not going to work. We're not going to believe that. And so Jesus gives, point number one, a warning and a principle here. If I'm just bearing witness of myself, if this is all there is, then my testimony's not valid. It's not established by anyone or anything else. So beware of that because false Christ will always pull that. They won't have the credibility they should have. Those who were false, they also don't have multiple witnesses. I want you to notice that as Jesus is calling all of these things up to testify, he is saying that every one of them line up and their testimony matches. They don't contradict. They're not weird. They're not outlandish or anything. They're all tightly together in telling the same thing testifying the same thing, and pointing to the same thing of Christ. So that is very important to see. Number two, I want you to notice here as we take a look at the confirming witnesses. Who are these people? Well, we uh, look at verses 42 through 46, or 32, excuse me, through 46, and uh, Jesus said, there's another who bears witness of me, and I know that The witness which he witnesses of me is true. And then he starts naming the witnesses. So first of all, let's go back and let's put our thinking caps on. And we remember the witness of John the Baptist. That's in verses 32 through 36. And he said, you even sent to John. You know what they did? These people went back and they said, Did John really say this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world? Did he really say that there is someone coming after me who is greater than me? Did he really say all those things? Does he really believe that? And so they sent people back to kind of trap and kind of trick Jesus by trying to get John to say something that doesn't line up with what Jesus has reported here. And so you sent to John, and he is born witness of the truth. Well, that made him mad. And he said, yet you do not receive testimony from man, or I do not receive testimony from man that uh, I say these things that you may be saved. He said, he was the burning and the shining lamp. That's a picture of uh, somebody who is giving a testimony, shining in the darkness, somebody who brings warmth in the cold. And then he says, you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But, oh, they were done with him whenever he started testifying of Christ. Now, that tells you they were not objective. That tells you they weren't really looking for the truth. And it's like those people that maybe talk to you and they ask you questions about the Lord and they seem really interested at first until you tell them something that they don't want to hear and all of a sudden nothing you say has any credibility. You're a fool. You're believing in fairy tales, all of that type of thing and they back away from it. That's exactly what the Pharisees and Sadducees did. Hey John, you know your dad's a priest He's one of us. He works in the temple. We love your dad. Boy, your dad is a great guy. And man, do you ever have a ministry out here? All great crowds and baptizing. Boy, it's really good that you call even the Romans out and you call other people out and for repentance. Boy, we're all for you, John. Man, you are our guy. Now, what do you think about this Jesus fellow, this Jesus character that has come upon the scene? And when John testified of Christ... They walked away and said, well, that guy's a kook. There's nothing to do with him. We're finished with him, and we're going to go our own way. We'll find somebody else. In fact, at Jesus' trial, at the end of his life, you remember, the best they could do was to call in false witnesses and when the witnesses didn't agree with one another well then they had to take a a different strategy well this is what is happening here the witness is not saying what they want to hear in the way they want to hear it about jesus so they don't he doesn't have any credibility anymore the second witness jesus speaks of is jesus own works All the things that he did. You know, if you read through the book of Isaiah, I would encourage you to do that. You'll find that the book of Isaiah prophesies that when the Messiah comes, strange things are going to happen. Sounds like a song from Toy Story, the movie, doesn't it? Strange things are happening. What kind of strange things are happening, Isaiah? Uh, Lame people are walking. People that are blind are seeing. People that are deaf are hearing. And then it even goes on to say that even people that are dead are being raised up. Now, we talked this morning about covenants and that kind of thing. And you have to have the parties being living in order to make a covenant. See, I would love to go to Bentonville, Arkansas. And I would love to go to uh, Sam Walton's grave and make a covenant with him that I get half of his estate but he can't do that, can he? And see, the covenant we have is made in the blood of Christ. That generally means death. And yet he did die, but did he stay dead? And the answer is no. He arose on the third day so that he could ratify and he could keep that covenant. But not only did he do that for himself, but think about the other people that he raised. The widow's son was raised and Lazarus was raised for example think about all the people that gained sight think about the people that gained hearing think about the people that were like this uh, man that had uh, palsy that was paralyzed how he was brought up these were all the signs of the Messiah these weren't arbitrary signs these were not normal signs these were not just things that happened in everyday Israel they didn't happen until Jesus came upon the scene. Nothing like this had ever been done. And now this man comes along, this village carpenter from of all places Nazareth in Galilee. Who does he think he is and why should we listen to him? And all of a sudden he touches a withered hand and it comes forth. What in the world just happened? He tells a paralyzed man, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And he does it. What in the world just happened? He goes to a cemetery and says, Lazarus, come forth. And here he comes. What in the world just happened? And to anybody who knew their Old Testament, they would be going, this is the sign of Messiah. It wasn't just what he taught. It was what he did. It was the works that he gave. And these were the things that were prophesied. In the Bible. The works of Jesus. Nobody taught like he did. Nobody did the works that he did. He could feed hungry people. And he could heal sick people. He could comfort those who were uh, discouraged. And who were sinners. He could forgive And he even said at one point, your sins are forgiven you. And I mean, the Pharisees went nuts, but they didn't say anything. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said, which is easier to say, take up your bed and walk, or your sins are forgiven you. But so that you know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk. And there was the proof. As they say, the proof is in the pudding. And he got up and he walked away. And that did not cause them to worship. That caused them to... To plan all the more to try to, ki- to kill him. And so, all of this were the works of the Father that were there. And that was going to be, he said, finished. The works will be finished, not just some of them, not just the first part of them, all the way to the end. And what was that? The cross. Think about John 12, 27. Next time you hear somebody say, In the garden, Jesus is trying to get out of the cross, John 12, 27, this is Jesus speaking. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Even his death on the cross that they said, see, that proves that he is being smitten of God and punished of God. Even that was a work of God, and that's why you believe, because you look at the cross and you see a glorious thing, a Savior dying to take the wrath of God away from you Dying in your place, being punished for you so that you could be forgiven of your sins. But they didn't see it. They saw it as just the opposite. That's proof he's not the Messiah. They should have read Isaiah 53 a little more carefully. Then we have the witness of the Father himself. Do you remember that? Jesus goes to John the Baptist to be baptized... And when he is being baptized in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, it says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And I don't know how many people were there, but I do know this. John the Baptist was there. He heard it. And so when the Pharisees sent someone to John, You really think this guy You know, is who he says he is. And John could say, I heard the voice from heaven. I heard the Father testify of his own Son. And the Holy Spirit came down like a dove and sat upon him. And so you have the Father speaking from heaven, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, and the Son standing there in the water, the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Godhead. And John said, I can testify of that. And they would say, enough of you. And there were other people that were there that could testify of it as well. But these people, why did Jesus say what he did? Because they were so far from God. They didn't love God. They didn't serve God. They didn't know God. And unlike Christ, they had never seen God because they were mere sinful human beings. But the Father testified, "'This is my Son, and I am perfectly pleased with him.'" And that's why, by the way, you are saved because the Father is pleased with everything Jesus did and he did that in your place so that the Father can look at you today through the uh, blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and he sees you as being pure and acceptable to God because... Jesus pleased the father and then the fourth thing Jesus calls to the witness stand the witness of the scriptures now all they had was the Old Testament it was completed by this time and he said you search the scriptures for you think they're going to affirm you and give you life and he said here's the problem. These are they which testify of me. And you've missed it. You don't even want to see it. You don't even want to acknowledge it. You will mistreat the scriptures. You will twist the scriptures to make it say what you want to say. To give you power to allow you to oppress other people. To allow you to be super spiritual in everything that you do. And yet the truth is they testify of me. And you won't come to me that you may have life. Because I'm the only place that uh, you're going to get it. And then he says something interesting. I do not receive honor from men. In other words he's saying. I do not come to make men like me. And to cause a groundswell. And an uprising. And a revolution carrying me on their shoulders. Saying this is our king. He said I didn't come for that. I didn't come to be popular. I didn't come to win an election so to speak. I came under the authority of the Lord. And the scriptures speak. And they say enough. And you just don't get it. Because they actually are talking about me. I don't seek all of the honor. That comes from others. And uh, John MacArthur. I think I've got it on the screen there. Talks about that. They would have accepted a general. They would have accepted a king. That would throw off the Romans. They would have accepted somebody. That could out uh, uh, get rid of political control. Uh, corruption I'm sure back in those days they wanted to drain the swamp as much as anybody wants to now in Washington DC and if Jesus had done those kind of things emphasized those kind of things he would have had people all around him as he fed them as he did miracles and healed them I mean they've got it made who can defeat our king but that's not the way he came he was coming to bring them righteousness and they don't really want that so much They want all of the other things that might come, and they uh, want the idea that uh, our king can defeat anybody else. And yet, here's someone that, by their own scriptures in the Old Testament, think about this. He had the right ancestry, he was a Jew, he was related to David, he was born in the right town. How many of you chose the town you were going to be born in? He performed the works that were predicted by the scripture. He also died by crucifixion. He was buried, like Isaiah 53 says, uh, uh, with the rich in his death. And you note all of these things that are in here that if he were a mere man, he couldn't control. He couldn't control his birthplace. He couldn't control his ancestry. He couldn't control what happened to him after he died. And yet it all lines up perfectly with their scripture. They were not ignorant of this scripture it all lined up in fact do you remember since Christmas is so long ago now the three uh, we say three wise men that came into Jerusalem and all Jerusalem is troubled we really don't know how many there were and you remember when they uh, asked Herod where is he that is born king of the Jews Herod's reaction was to be troubled to be disturbed to be agitated by that. He didn't rejoice. And so he goes to the scholars and he says, where does the Bible say that the Messiah would be born? And you know what's interesting? All of these people that just couldn't believe in Jesus, couldn't figure out who he was, at that time when the king asked them, they sure figured it out and they figured it out quickly. In the book of Micah, it says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And not just any Bethlehem because there was one in Galilee as one in as well as one in Judea but it's Bethlehem the city of David they call it Bethlehem Ephra and that specifically identified the place so the wise men knew exactly where to go Now, how come they could figure that out about a baby they haven't even met or heard of, and yet when Jesus is walking around healing people, raising them from the dead, and teaching with authority like they had never heard before, somehow it just goes vroom all over him. Well, I think it's summed up in the fact when they made the statement, we will not have this man to be king over us. And that heart of death and that heart of darkness... And that heart of rebellion is what kept them from hearing any of the witnesses. These people and these situations, I mean, they were the people of the Scripture, weren't they? They were the people who believed in the Father, didn't they? These were the people who were looking for the Messiah, supposedly, weren't they? And when Jesus calls all of these witnesses up, nope, can't believe that, nope, can't believe that, nope, can't believe that. And uh, so... Jesus said, I don't receive honor from man. Here's that quote I was looking for, that Jesus agreed to be the kind of Messiah that the Jews wanted, if he believed that, providing miracles and food along with political and military power, he would have honor and glory from them. But he sought only to please God. And so when we look at that, no wonder they discredited His witnesses or just flat out ignored them. They weren't being fair. They weren't being just. They weren't even paying attention to their own teachings. They could discard them all for the idea that they did not want Jesus. Nothing else matters. We just don't want Him. No proof matters. We don't want Him. Nothing else comes to our mind except get rid of Him. And even, you know how they love Moses. What about the testimony of Moses? And Jesus said, Moses will be your biggest accuser. Because when you think about Moses, you think about the law. Think about the sacrificial system. Think about the lamb. Who did that represent? Think about the blood that was shed by that lamb. What did that represent? What did it mean when the lamb had to always be unblemished? What did that represent? And probably most of you know that all of that was pointing to Christ and His sacrifice. The feast, especially the Passover, pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And even Moses made a prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, and him you shall hear." Who was Moses talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament law and in the sacrifices and in the feast, all of them were pointing them to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus says, Here I am, they go, Well, why should we believe you? And he starts calling the witnesses to come forward, witnesses that they would have recognized and things that they understood and things that they read, and they still look together and go what a coincidence all of those things seem to fit together what a coincidence it seems to be pointing to this guy nope and they would walk away from it and that brings us to this third thing hardened hearts and blind eyes always miss the mark and he said but if you do not believe uh, this these writings then how will you believe my words. In other words, if you're not going to believe the scripture, you won't believe me. And the same thing is true today. And anyone that tells you that God told me something that contradicts the scripture, they are a liar. God and his word always go together. And that's the point that Jesus makes here. And so some people try to say, well, all you give them is the Bible. They don't need the Bible, they need miracles, and they need stories, and they need drama, and they need entertainment. Then maybe they'll come to the Lord. Did you know what Jesus is saying here? He's talking about the supremacy of Scripture. It's Scripture that brings people to Christ. Not feelings, not entertainment, not good times or any of that. It is the Scripture that brings them ...to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's basically saying... ...if you don't believe these writings... ...his writings... ...Moses' writings... ...Scripture... ...then you're not going to believe me... ...because the two things go hand in hand. You cannot separate God from His Word. In fact, in the Psalms it says something very interesting. It says about God... ...you have exalted your Word above your name... Now so many people are big about using the name of Jesus for things the Bible doesn't authorize and then they ignore the Bible. They don't want the Bible. They don't study the Bible. They don't obey the Bible and yet God has exalted His Word above His name. In fact, in Luke chapter 16, there's a story and the story is about a rich man and about another man named Lazarus. You remember the story? Lazarus was a beggar. And everybody assumed that because Lazarus was a beggar, he's being punished and judged by God. And then there's a rich man, and everybody assumes the rich man must be blessed. Then they die. And surprisingly, the rich man wakes up in hell. He's in torment. That's when he begs Abraham, send somebody with water to cool the tip of my tongue, for I'm in torment. It's the reality of hell. And then he makes this statement to Abraham. I've got five brothers. Can I go back and can I tell them about this? No. Well, if I can't, then send Lazarus to go. And this is what is recorded in the Word of God. But if you do not believe his writings, Jesus said, how will you believe my words? And then in Luke 16 it says, Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them. Kind of like Jesus did to uh, the people he was with. And it says, lest they come to this place of torment. Now listen to this in verse 29 of Luke 16. Abraham said to him, you ready? They have Moses and the prophets... Let them hear then. And the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if one rose, uh, uh, came to them, goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses' scripture and the prophets' scripture, neither will they be persuaded, though one rises from the dead. You know what he's saying there? You can't entertain them into the kingdom. You can't argue them into the kingdom. You can't love them into the kingdom. You can't give things to them that's going to bring them into the kingdom. It's by the word of God. Paul said it like this. You ever heard this? Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing what? Just anything? We all hear. No. Hearing of the word of God. So... While you are witnessing when you're talking to people, don't ever feel like, oh, they've got all these arguments and I don't have answers. All I've got is Scripture. Stop. You've got the sword of the Spirit. You've got the power of God and the testimony of God. Stand in faith and stand strong on all of this. So we find Jesus here, when the heat is on, He doesn't back down. He doesn't get vague. He clarifies Everything. And if we ever needed a time where we needed to be clear, it is now. And when everyone is backing off and becoming kind of vague and nebulous and a little unclear, you don't know who they're talking about, what God they're talking about. Oh, I just have faith. I get through things by faith. Faith in what? Faith in whom? It has to be in the right object. And it's time for people who love God, those who are born again. We must be loving, but we must also be bold and above everything else, Christian, be clear and don't be vague. This is the time to speak up. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, help us. Sometimes when the pressure's on, unlike Jesus, we kind of fade, we camouflage. We kind of back down. We don't want to stir up anything. We don't want to cause trouble. Well, I pray we wouldn't be just rabble-rousers, troublemakers, walking around in pride and arrogance and brandishing all of our knowledge everywhere. Let us be wise. Let us be discerning. Let us be careful. Let us be also accurate. And let us be very, very clear. And we pray, Father, that as we do this, that you would be honored, you would be glorified, And that many people would come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And that we would be found, when it's all said and done, to be faithful. Lord, we as your children long to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. It's time for us to be clear, Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.